Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you. More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1004. Today we hear from Dawn, who asks, How do I balance healthy relationships with the less healthy examples in long-standing love tropes that I grew up with and love? I.e., how do I write healthier relationships without abandoning those tropes altogether? <laughs> Good question. Um, well... The first thing to bear in mind is that those long-standing tropes that are in romance novels are there for a reason. Uh, it's because they work. Most of those unhealthy tropes are unhealthy only because of the degree they're, to which they're taken. I'm going to be speaking a little out of turn here because I actually hate romance novels. And I hate them for reasons we discussed a couple of uh, weeks ago by the time this airs, when, uh, which is that... Um, when you've uh, been in, when you've had friends for decades, and when you've had lovers for decades, the exciting new phase of the relationship is kind of the least interesting part. Yep. I mean, it's fun, but it's not interesting. And so, um, I kind of hate romance novels because they stop at the happily ever after, and I'm really interested in what happens the morning after, because that's when you have to integrate all the joy with all the other challenges of life. And that's where you really get to see who people are and what they're made of. But nonetheless, there will always be a market for romance novels because they encompass something that humans chase. Not just humans, all animals chase, which is the experience of being utterly and completely overpowered by your biology. Mm. Alcohol, drugs, sex romance, and the excitement of the new are all examples where this happens, as are extreme rage, violence, and defense of one's own, and extreme danger. These are what we call the peak experiences. And I do have my own weaknesses for peak experiences, especially things like um, surfing and rock climbing. Things where I'm putting my life in literal danger. Oh my God, am I... That, that's where I am suave Rob. A total adrenaline junkie. Humans seek these experiences out for the same reason all other animals seek these experiences out. Because we are biological creatures and we, we feel deeply, vitally connected to reality and alive when our biology is running the show and our minds are not, when we are helpless in the face of what our body is pushing us to do, what our desires are pushing us to do, we feel amazing. 
There is nothing in the world that feels like that. So, romance novels will always be with us for that reason. As will all of the genre fiction, which is... One of the defining things about genre fiction is that it is sensationalistic. It's focused on the sense experience, the emotional connection to what's going on. How do you write healthy relationships without abandoning these tropes? Um, you look for what... A lot of it comes in the way that your characters work this stuff out. Um, okay, I'm going to jump right into, the, right into the deep end, right? Because... You're talking romance novels, or at least uh, romantic subplots. You cannot get away from the rape fantasy. Rape fantasy is one of those foundational fantasies that most women have. There's lots of research on this. And it's cross-cultural, and it does not have to do with politics. In fact, part of it is that because what we desire is the sense of being swept away by events we can't control... Um, the things which people find sexiest are the things which are most taboo most of the time, which is why there is research on that. There's as a well. lot of research on that as well. Um, and I, if I can find it again, I just read an article on this about two days ago and I'll try to find it, dig it and link it to the show notes. Um, and of course, uh, you know, rape is not fun. Rape is incredibly traumatic, but it is something that people fantasize about especially women, but sometimes men too. Men fantasize both about raping and about being raped. But in either case, the root of the fantasy is being out of control, being at the mercy of the primal world. In uh, female psychology, this shows up in Beauty and the Beast. It's one of the most basic forms of female pornography is Beauty and the Beast. Um, you see it in uh, the Twilight novels. You see it in uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey novels. The overpowering, very unhealthy, very predatory male coming after the weak, sort of wishy-washy female, or you know, even if she's not weak of character, she's much weaker physically. The defenseless woman. Mm -hmm. By their interaction, she transforms him into a dependable, reliable mate who will defend her no matter what. Basic, basic fantasy goes all the way back to the beginning of recorded history. And why wouldn't it be a basic fantasy? Women are physically weaker than men on average. They're in relationship with men who are sometimes two, three times as big as they are. And men go all to pieces in their presence. The experience of being a man and courting a woman is utterly terrifying. Or the socially acceptable version of this trope is taming the bad boy yeah, fantasy. Yeah, it's the taming the bad boy fantasy. And the experience, of course, for men of courting a woman is that it's utterly terrifying. Men who are good at courting women have learned to master their own fear and intimidation around women. But there's always an element of it there. So... From a woman's perspective, a woman who is physically smaller and weaker, having this massive ogre of a creature going all to pieces in your presence, oh my god, does that make you powerful. And so on both sides, that romance is a power fantasy. And feeling powerful like that is very, very primal. So a lot of where um, healthy versus unhealthy use of these tropes in terms of portraying healthy versus unhealthy relationships is not necessarily in the trope itself. It's in 
how the characters work out those dynamics in their relationships, how they grow their ability to set boundaries, how they grow their ability to communicate, how they acquire respect for one another. In a desperately unhealthy relationship, they stay stuck in that first stage. The excitement of the predator and the prey and the uh, predator being consumed by the prey and the prey becoming the taming force. You can get... Uh, a Unhealthy relationships get stuck in that dynamic. Uh, there's that wonderful line in John Grisham's book, The Firm. One brother asks another brother, is mom still with the same guy? And the other brother says, they're all the same guy. Both men and women have a tendency often to return to exactly the same kinds of unhealthy relationships over and over and over. And it's because they're stuck on that initial dynamic and they are not grown up enough to move beyond it. So if you're wanting to portray a healthy relationship, the problem is not that that initial dynamic exists. It's that the characters are not grown up enough to move beyond it. So the healthy relationship comes in the characters growing up enough to move beyond it. And not in a childish sense where, you know, he had sex with me and now he's totally my love slave and everything is good and he'll never be abusive again. But in a more complex, mature form of give and take where... Um, mutual respect and boundaries are established. You, you don't want to turn characters so tame in this taming that they become like a robot version of themselves. Right. So I'm going to invoke a very controversial example of how to do this right. In Robert Heinlein's book Friday, the main character is a uh, mercenary replicant who at the beginning of the book is gang-raped by... A, another group of mercenaries as part of a military exercise. She and her organization are the targets. It's a form of torture to get her to talk. It's really rough. And they opened the book with this. Later in the book, after she has had many adventures, she runs into the guy who led the team. And through happenstance, they wind up being in this, on the same side in a life-threatening situation. And they recognize each other. Or he recognizes her, actually, because she was blindfolded. And as they start to become friends and start to become close, he confesses to her that he was the guy that led the team. And the two of them wind up together. Now, they don't wind up together because she was brutalized and has Stockholm Syndrome. They wind up together because they've both been brutalized by the profession that they're in. And their bond and mutual respect as fellow soldiers is so strong that it overcomes the brutality that started their relationship. Hmm. It is a very difficult read. And it's been controversial since the day it was written. But in terms of psychodynamics, it is an extreme example of how to do that kind of thing right. In forming a relationship between adult characters or adult people, the working out of the basis for mutual respect and having that basis become stronger than the basis for the mutual desire that started the relationship off, and then the incorporation of that desire into the respect, that's what makes a relationship healthy, regardless of how healthy or unhealthy it started out as. And so that's how you can use all of the tropes that are problematic in a way that portrays healthy adult relationships. And if that's important to you, that's where you want to put your attention. 
thank you very much for the question, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.